Welcome to episode 84 of My Circus, My Monkeys. Question. Have you ever wished one of your staff members would be more of a team player? Have you ever been told that you're a team player? Or maybe you've been told you weren't acting like a team player. We talk a lot about being a team player, but today I want to break this concept down, including looking at its dark side. So stay tuned. You're listening to My Circus, My Monkeys, the podcast for supervisors in education or any field that emphasizes growth and development. If you want to reign in the chaos and transform your team to better serve your students and clients, keep listening. This podcast explores essential information on supervision, employee engagement, and using a strengths-based framework to empower you and your team. We'll examine the latest research in psychology, neuroscience, education, and beyond to help you and your team get to the next level with your host, Anne Brackett the Chief Engagement Officer of Strengths University. Many of us have grown up with the notion that it's good to be a team player. If you look at it from a sports perspective, it's about actively contributing to the team's success versus just being in it for yourself. If you're a Ted Lasso fan, you know that at the beginning of the series, Jamie Tart was definitely in it for himself. The team wasn't happy. The coach wasn't happy. The fans were happy when he scored, but not when the team lost. Most of his storyline was then dedicated to his transformation from a show-off to a team player. Why? Because as a society, we believe it's better to be a team player. Or rather, if you're not a team player, you're somehow being selfish or working against the team. When we apply this to work, it's a similar concept. Again, at its core, We're talking about how you actively contribute to the team's success. Again, that seems like a good thing, right? But what does it mean to be a team player? Is it really the gold standard we make it out to be? Or is there a dark side to this idea of being a team player? Hint, yes, there absolutely is, as implied by the title and my introduction. Now, I've heard this team, team player, pop up quite a bit over the past few years. I've had coaching clients ask, how can I get blank to be more of a team player? I've had friends and institute participants talk about how when they expressed an unpopular opinion or perhaps suggested they didn't have the resources to tackle another project, they were accused of not being a team player. The thing about being a team player is it's a phrase that is often thrown around but rarely defined in specific terms. I mean, what is it that you're supposed to do or not do that makes sure that you're hitting that target, both as a supervisor and as an individual on a team? As with everything, the team starts with the leader. In sports, this is a coach. At work, this is your direct supervisor or you for your team. Yes, there are going to be outside influences from administration, institutional culture, society, etc. But if you recall from previous episodes... Gallup has found that managers account for 70% of variance in employee engagement. Yes, I know we just talked about engagement last week, but it's connected. Right now, I'm using it to emphasize how much influence supervisors have over their team, even if you don't feel like that's the case. We'll get more into engagement in a little bit. Since the leader, 
slash supervisor is the one judging individuals' contributions, that means ultimately you are the one defining what being a team player is, right? Just like your supervisor is defining it for you. Well, the problem there is that the definition seems to vary widely. I gave a general description earlier, actively contributing to the team's success. But what does that actually look like? And who gets to decide what defines team success? When I was coaching one supervisor, we talked about how, let's call them Larry, how Larry just wasn't being a team player. It was frustrating for her and her team because it seemed like Larry was doing less work than everybody else. Okay, that seems like a legitimate issue. So I asked, what was the problem with Larry's behavior? Evidently, Larry would do his work and then sit and wait for the next assignment or task. Meanwhile, it was enrollment time, so everybody else was answering emails and reviewing forms whenever they had any free time. Now, when the supervisor would tell Larry specifically, answer emails, he'd do it without complaint. But she had to tell him specifically what she wanted him to do versus him instinctively knowing or sensing how he could contribute it to the team. Some of you are probably going, yes, I have a Larry too. What's their deal? Why aren't they working harder? Well, the deal in this case, at least in part, was unclear expectations. For all intents and purposes, Larry was just doing his job, right? He did his specific tasks, and when asked, he did the other duties as assigned. But that's not what most people think of as a team player, is it? We seem to be looking for folks to go above and beyond their job description all the time. But if the assumption is you should go beyond your job description and also do X, Y, and Z for the benefit of the team, then why isn't that simply an expectation? Why do people insist on having these invisible expectations that we hope people rise to even though we don't say it? It reminds me of a cartoon I once saw about a couple fighting. One was complaining to her partner that they never did the dishes unless they were asked. The partner fired back, uh, what's the problem? I do them whenever you ask without complaining. And her reply was, I don't want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. In this scenario, the couple had obviously not had a clear conversation outlining expectations and the dishes. So it wasn't good enough that the partner was willing to do the dishes when told. They were expected to mind read and want to do them. We do this all the time at work. We reward some people for meeting our unstated expectations, but punish other people or look down on them for doing what they were told to do. How is that fair? During this particular coaching session, we talked about how, yes, some people will pick up on what others are doing and or see a need and jump into it. But Larry wasn't actually doing anything wrong. If she wanted Larry to behave differently, she was going to have to give him specific expectations. And we've talked about the importance of a specific expectations in other episodes, so I don't want to go too deep here. But one of the problems supervisors often have is that they themselves aren't clear on what they want. They just know when it's missing. In this case, she wasn't clear that part of Larry's job was when he had finished his specific tasks, he was expected to check the group email, look over their forms, and reply. If you want your people to do specific things, then you need to be specific about what those are. It's that simple. Larry wasn't underperforming. Other members of the team were choosing to do more 
which happened to meet the unstated expectations of the supervisor. The very first question in Gallup's engagement survey is Q1, I know what's expected of me at work. Saying someone isn't a team player because you haven't defined what you want is blaming Larry for you not being clear. That being said, you may absolutely have underperforming staff members. And that's a different thing than not being a team player. That's about performance management. We've talked about this in other episodes as well. Part of your job as a supervisor is to manage your team members' performance. This includes setting clear expectations, checking in along the way, and then holding them accountable. Complaining about people not being a team player, or even worse, asking other staff members to be a team player to make up the work is not a solution that's going to build a strong, successful team. The ninth element of Gallup's engagement survey is Q9. My associates, or fellow employees, are committed to doing quality work. Focusing on people's attitude or commitment level isn't realistic, but you can address poor performance. In fact, you must address it in a timely manner. When you don't, it can negatively impact everyone's engagement level, especially when they're being asked to pick up the slack. Now I want to go back for a second and talk about what I mentioned earlier, being accused of not being a team member. This could happen for the reason we've just been discussing, unclear expectations. But I've also seen and heard of it being used when someone offers a different perspective or they push back because boundaries are being violated. We think being a team player is a good thing. So if you're not, it's automatically considered bad. So if you want to stop someone from doing what they're doing, whether it be challenging the status quo, a decision, or making reasonable requests, a great way to do that is to say, you're not being a team player. But here's the thing. Being a team player is only a good thing if it actually benefits the team and each of the individual members. Jamie Tart figured out that working together ultimately meant more wins for the team, but he also had better relationships with those team members, so much so that when things didn't go well, they were there for him in a way no one else ever was. There was success in winning, but also success in the well-being of each team member. It was literally a win-win. As I've previously mentioned, I'm a Gallup Certified Strengths Coach. So we've talked about how differences are an advantage and how we need other people. We all see the world through the lens of our talents, and this can lead to great things. But we have to understand that our way is not always the right or the best way. It's simply our way. When you're stressed, you're more likely to double down on your talents, aka how you see the situation, even if your talents are showing up as weaknesses. That means you're probably missing something, which means poorer decisions and outcomes. As a leader, you need to be aware of your biases towards your own talents. Sure, some people aren't the most tactful when they're offering alternative views, but remember, engagement element Q7. Does your opinion seem to count? I'm not at all suggesting you change every decision you make because someone disagrees or refuse to move forward until everyone is on board. But what I am saying is that if you label folks who disagree or bring up potentially valid issues as simply not being team players, then they and possibly others on your team are going to stop talking altogether. Instead of trying to make things better than they found them as engaged employees, 
those individuals are just going to stop being psychologically invested in their job, aka stop being engaged. And the folks around them who may not have spoken up but feel the same way, they're going to know what's going to happen if they do speak up, so they're going to be silent too. In addition to lowering engagement, it's also potentially and ironically interfering with team success. You, or perhaps your supervisor, may believe that X is the right way to handle a situation. But what if it isn't? Would the team actually do better if you changed a system or program? Would students be more successful if you expanded your view of the situation? It's easy to assume that people are just complaining or trying to get in the way of progress. But that's not always the case. There are absolutely situations where individuals who are questioning decisions or suggesting alternative perspectives are doing it for the group's success. They are trying to go above and beyond to try and leave things better than they found them. In fact, if they're doing it when they know you're not going to be receptive, they're putting themselves in a very vulnerable place in the hopes that they can get you to see things from a different point of view. But because this idea of being a team player is so loaded, it's easy to use it to shut folks down. This is a huge problem because it will absolutely impact engagement and how much your team trusts you. If you've ever had this happen to you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I have a lot of thoughts on this topic, but I want to make this both thought-provoking and relatively short so more folks will have time to listen. I'm going to try and bring this together by talking about when this team player business can be a positive thing and when it's a red flag. This is true for you as a team member and as a supervisor. As I mentioned earlier, being a team player is only good when it brings success to both the team and each individual. They say a team is greater than the sum of its parts, but if the parts aren't healthy or well, your team isn't going to be either. If the team you're on isn't aligned with your values or keeps asking you to ignore healthy boundaries, you need to think long and hard about whether it's the right team for you. When you're being to do asked to do any of the following in the name of being a team player, I'm calling red flag. Being asked to do an unreasonable amount of work. Doing extra work without being compensated. Doing extra work to make up for an underperforming team member. Being asked to do another person's job because the institution decided not to replace them. Helping others, but rarely getting help in return. Being asked to silence your thoughts and perspectives. Being told not to question decisions or processes. And again, doing anything that violates healthy boundaries, including all the above. And just to clarify, what I mean by red flag is that all the benefits from the supposed teamwork is for other people. So students, team members, your supervisor, the administration, etc. And if your well-being is being compromised, that's a team that's focused on achieving goals not about the success of the overall team. If that's the case, they're using being a team player to manipulate you, no matter how good their intentions may be. Now, as with most things, there's also a positive side to being a team player. I'm already going longer than I'd planned, so in a nutshell, if you're being asked to do things that will ultimately benefit you and the team without sacrificing healthy boundaries, then it can absolutely be a win-win. So I'm talking about things like taking on an extra assignment that legitimately 
is a professional development opportunity for you. Pitching in to help a staff member finish a project because you know they're going to do the same for you in the future and you're going to ask them to. Understanding your team's talents and using them to develop complementary partnerships that allow everyone to be more effective and productive. Asking for you to share your input so a project policy or decision can be improved. Now, neither of these are exhaustive lists, but hopefully you can tell the difference between the two. And all this being said, I hope you can see how the concept of being a team player has the potential to strengthen a team when used in a way that takes into account the well-being of the individuals as well as the team. But it also has the potential to be used as a weapon to keep people in line or to manipulate people into doing unreasonable things that are not in their own best interest. As a supervisor, you need to be careful how you use this term. If you're just trying to get someone to work harder or stop doing something that you don't like, you need to step back and ask yourself some questions. Are you being clear with your expectations? Is this person shining a light on a systemic problem or offering another perspective that I've missed? Or are they underperforming and I need to be better about managing their performance? Likewise, as an individual, you need to think about whether the things being asked of you in the name of being a team player are aligned with what's best for you. If they're not, it may be time to find a team that is. And until next time, stay strong. Thanks for listening to My Circus, My Monkey. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as other episodes, on our website, www.strengthsuniversity.org slash mycircus. If you found this podcast valuable, please share it with your friends and colleagues so we can empower and support supervisors everywhere. Finally, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. As always, Alicia and I are here to support you as you reflect on where you are and where you want to go. One great way to invest in yourself and your team is to join us for the summer cohort of the Supervisor Strengths Institute. We are revamping the Institute this summer to make it even more manageable for your busy schedule. It is the same great content, but we've condensed it so you can work through each week's modules and start implementing change even faster. We know that life can too easily get in the way of you staying on track, so we've also added a bonus for everyone who completes all eight weeks of learning. You will get an additional 60 minutes of our time, and you can use that for more individual coaching, a short team session, or to receive a discount on a longer team workshop. Our Summer Institute starts on May 28th, Go ahead and register now. Check it off your list. We want you, your team, and your students to shine their brightest. And that starts with you. So join us for the Summer Institute using the link in the show notes. Or if you have questions about the Institute or other services, contact us at Anne, and that's A-N-N-E, at strengthsuniversity.org. Thanks for listening to My Circus, My Monkey. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as other episodes, on our website, www.strengthsuniversity.org slash mycircus. 
If you found this podcast valuable, please share it with your friends and colleagues so we can empower and support supervisors everywhere. Finally, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.